Welcome to the New Stories Podcast, Season 2. Wow. Well, hello, everybody. I'm Dr. Rodney Glasgow, the head of school at Sandy Spring Friends School, and thanks for joining this already joyful uh, podcast. I am joined by two very good friends and excellent colleagues, Hayes and Courtney, and I'll have them introduce themselves. We'll start with Hayes. Hi, I'm Hayes Davis. I teach one section of upper school English. That's African-American literature. This uh, semester in the fall, it was um, poetry of identity and innovation. And I'm the assistant director of institutional equity, justice, and belonging. Good morning, friends. My name is Courtney Benson. I use she, her pronouns, and I am the director of professional growth and development at Sandy Spring Friends School. So this is an interesting, what we might say in the DEI biz as an intersectional conversation. <laughs> and the intersection this morning is the intersection of professional development and belonging. And I've got to say, after 20-something years in the business, I had not considered this intersection before. And so I'm really interested to learn from the two of you what kind of traffic flows through the intersection of professional development and belonging. Putting these two together is going to be a really interesting time. So maybe to begin for that reason with defining each of these streets, if we keep up our metaphor, that we're going to go down. So maybe, Hayes, you could define belonging and Courtney, you could define professional development. And then we'll talk about sort of the middle of that Venn diagram. I would say that belonging, and I, you know, I went as I was thinking about this, and as I, as I was as I was prepping for today, I went back to a New York Times article from 2012, and it was it it, it is about um, it's called admitted but left out, and it's about the phenomenon in independent schools where students who do not represent the population for whom private schools were started, right? We, you know, we could get into the history of, of independent schools, but suffice it to say, students of color, students with who love differently, express themselves differently, fit the other, not cis, white, straight, et cetera, were invited to these schools, to independent schools, but were not made to feel like they had a genuine human place at that school. And what I mean by that in practical terms is they, they might not feel like they have someone on campus to whom they could tell a deep personal secret. They might not feel like they have someone on campus who sees them for who they are and not necessarily for their immediately identifiable markers. And so when you feel a sense of belonging, you bring your full self to school. And when that's absent, you might keep some of yourself inside and that might make you speak up in class less. That might make you sit off, off, off on your own in the cafeteria. That might make you not seek out friendships and that might affect your academic performance. And so there's a way in which when students feel their whole selves, they are, they are, they are able to succeed at an independent school setting. And so feeling your whole self, as I said, you have someone you would call a friend and ideally several people who, 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 who you would call a friend on campus. You feel like you can walk up to a teacher, you can walk up to an administrator, you can walk into a building and advocate for yourself, get what you need to thrive on campus. When that's absent, that's when, that's when belonging is not absent. And that's when someone like me has, 
has some work to do. Mm. I think of belonging. I also think of a feeling valued with a sense of agency and trust. Those are, when I define belonging for, I would say those three, because what you're getting to, Hayes, is all three of those, right? Admitted, but not included. Those are different things. And so it's not just the feeling valued. It's the, am I a part of this? Am I a co-owner in this? So I appreciate that the nuances you've described with that. Courtney, Director of Professional Growth and Development. <laughs> Tell us what we think we know what professional development is, but I know you have a broader sense of it as you steep in your day-to-day. I do. The immediate takeaway is like, oh, workshops. You go to work, you know, you, you sign people up for workshops. Fantastic. But I think what we're trying to do here is actually change that paradigm, right? Like to, to broaden this to really... What Hayes is talking about for students, all of those concepts apply to our faculty. That sense of belonging is imperative for our faculty to feel investment, ownership, the true acknowledgement and honoring of their voice in this process. And so you do that by creating an environment of shared growth and experience together. And so what I view the role of professional growth and development as is really creating that shared space, that shared language, that shared experience for faculty so that we can all feel invested and represented in this work together. There are workshops involved, put that out there, but it really starts from the minute we have an employee who's hired and joins our campus. So this role encompasses all of the new employee orientation, welcoming our new faculty and staff, creating a shared mission together, implementing touch points throughout the year so that our new faculty and staff can connect with our existing faculty and staff in a really intentional way and create those relationships. I love this role specifically because it is housed under the human resources and OIEJP umbrellas. So there's a real true um, sense of belonging on my part with this OIEJP team. Those, that's, that's my team. And so we get to work through even things like Heritage Months together, planning out how we're representing faculty, how we bring those voices in, how can we tie in other workshops or other experiences to what we're doing. So having this role work so closely with that team has been an incredible value and has really allowed us to dig into this way beyond um, the occasional workshop or speaker. Interesting. And the OIEJB, we've practiced that for months, that acronym. <laughs> <laughs> So it now flows out of our mouths, but for those who don't know, it's the Office of Institutional Equity, Justice, and Belonging. And our human resources falls under that, and our professional growth and development falls under that for our faculty and staff. So hearing you all, I'm thinking of two two things, and I got to say them both because my mind is like racing (laughs) with the endorphins from this conversation. I'm thinking one about Horace Mann who is known, of course, as the father of public education or what they call the common school. And and what he said when he began this road of every kiddo in the country should go to school and have the right to go to school, was he was thinking more about school as a place where you could learn the country's values, moral code, codes of behavior, right? School was an acculturating mechanism. You could also learn algebra and all those things too, right? But the, the centralized purpose of every school in this country was really around sort of shared morals and values and therefore putting that equal sign to good citizenship. And then Courtney, you had me thinking about professional developments in that same vein, right? The school for school folks, 
when you said it's about shared growth and experiences that tie us to the mission and values of this place. And so talk a little bit just about personhood, how it shows up in our faculty, staff, administrative space, and the connections between one's personhood and one's professional development. <laughs> we just have, we just have an hour. It was a little journey in my mind. I took a journey in my mind. <laughs> yeah, this is this is actually something I reflected on, and this is a little bit tangentially related. But I reflected on Rodney, the work we've done this year, and more specifically, I reflected on we have these institutional themes, right? These institutional themes that we're working on as a school that we really want to reinforce and dig into this year. Those themes are um, mind, brain, education, and best teaching practices, social emotional learning, and trauma response care under the auspices of COVID and being responsive to what that's yielded. And then belonging, which is its own huge bucket, which is what we're talking about. But within that, I reflected on the fact that even in selecting the professional development that we have brought in for faculty, I think we have, as a team have been really mindful to find voices of expertise, of brilliance, of accomplishment in the field that represent the identities of our faculty. I think we've been really intentional and with success finding these incredibly talented speakers who represent the identities that we have in our community. And I think that in itself has been a notable shift and has been noticed by our faculty in that I can see myself in this person who is brilliantly educating us on the ins and outs of COVID response in this incredibly difficult time, right? And so that in itself makes a difference. And that is kind of the model that we want to match for our students of we're all seeing ourselves reflected in these different pieces. And that is part of the representation of personhood, even in these professional pursuits that we want to model for our faculty. So that's the first thing that comes to mind that I've really been reflecting on in, in preparation for this is that I don't even, you know, we never even tangibly discussed that, but we were both just on that right. trajectory. It, it, it was kind of this unspoken and immediate understanding, like this is what we need to do to make this an authentic mission for us. Mm. And when you talk about that authenticity, Courtney, and we talk about belonging, where belonging shows up for me is if I can wear whatever I want to campus within professional reason, if I can walk down the hallway confidently, if I can inhabit a space where I feel empowered on campus, then students see that. And that's part of where, you know, that's, that's part of what we're talking about with this intersection of belonging and PD is when you have a professionally developed group of adults on campus who are able to respond to students in human ways. When adults recognize that it's not the one time that you have to talk to a kid in the hallway that determines the relationship, it's everything that happened between you and that student before that moment. Mm -hmm. When students feel like, and this was, this was data that popped up on the diversity audit that we did, a couple of years ago, where students felt like they were only having touch points with some teachers when they were in trouble, that there was no one who was taking the time to ask them about their weekend or find out what they do outside of school or what their favorite ice cream flavor is, right? Anything that, that we would ask a friend or that we would ask someone as we're trying to get to know them 
is what creates belonging. And so, so that's, that's, that's on my mind also. And, 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 and Rodney, what you mentioned about Horace Mann and about the goal of these shared morals and values of society, what we can't lose sight of is that schools do not exist in a vacuum. Schools exist in society. And all of the things that might interrupt someone's sense of belonging in society is going to interrupt someone's sense of belonging in school. And so we have to, as much as a school may want to live on its ethos, live on its mission, live on what it's been, it needs to continue to professionally develop. It needs to follow the idea of continuing revelation where there's always more to learn. And that's, that's the approach that I try to bring to, to DEI work, to, to, the, to the OIEJB, is this sense that we're always learning because we have to be always learning because kids are always growing, right? The kids that we're teaching now are different from the ones who we were teaching 20 years ago. Mm. And to that point, Hayes, you know, the sense of belonging at school, the relationships are such a key factor in a feeling of safety, right, in your identity. And so, and data supports across the board that a feeling of safety enables learning. If you're in a heightened state of anxiety, which could be from one big thing or a series of small things over your day, your learning is compromised. And so when you think about the critical importance of this, of those conversations that feel small in the moment, they're not. They're actually all contributing to this aggregate sense of comfort, of being relaxed and of being present in your space so that our kids can learn. And then that is what we're here for. <laughs> and so relationships have a scientific value and meaning when it comes to the neurobiology of learning. This is taking me go on the journey in my mind again. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to jump to Maslow. Because Courtney, you said something really important that, that brought out Maslow's hierarchy for me, which is it starts, which is the foundation of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. It starts with safety. Yep. That if you don't have safety, you can't really truly get to belonging. But what's interesting about love and belonging on the hierarchy for Maslow is it's in the middle. And so we think about it as the pinnacle, but what he's saying is until you have love and belonging, you can't get to the top of the triangle, which is self-actualization and self-realization and self-esteem. Mm -hmm. Like you can't be who you truly can be. This is what Hayes is putting me in mind of. If you don't have the belonging, it's the gateway, right? It's not the goal, it's the gateway. And, and so thinking about this intersection of professional development and belonging, I'd love for y'all to talk to the kinds of professional development experiences we're putting together for our faculty to teach them how to create a sense of belonging in their classrooms, because Hayes brought me, and you too, Courtney, to the MBE part of this, which is our brains, no matter how little we are or how big we are, our brains have some primary functions that are ready from day one. And one of them is the scan for the environment. The brain scans for the safety and it also scans for the belonging. And one of the things our amygdala helps us to do, because our amygdalas, I think it's the spiritual part of people, our amygdalas, which run our emotions and sense emotionality, can sync up so that we know that the three of us are very connected. So if Hayes all of a sudden, even in his square on Zoom, distributes some kind of a fear or anxiety, we might feel it, Courtney, yeah. and get anxious <laughs> by proxy. Right, do we, right, do we need to stop the, right? We would get into that. Children in a classroom with an adult, if they sense that adults does not belong, their amygdala goes, wait a minute, 
We just need to be on a little more alert because we can't relax until they relax. Something in the environment is trying to warn us. So how then do we teach, help our faculty to create this sense of belonging in themselves and in the classroom so that our amygdalas sync up with the joy of self-actualization? I was going to say, Hayes, it makes me think of the culture creation and culture carrier activity we did in our very first um, PD at the beginning of the year, which I, I'd love for you to kind of dive into, but that set the tone for how we're sharing responsibility for creating this culture of belonging and bringing voices in. Yeah, I was, I was thinking of that. I was thinking about how we asked adults during faculty week to gather in groups of about eight to 10, and we worked really hard to vary the groups, to make sure that we had a mix of folks who had been here for a while, folks who might be newer. And we just asked them, what are elements of Sandy Spring culture that you want to hold up? Create your vision board, create your culture board. And we gave them big poster boards. I have them over here in my office. So we got this great collection of different ideas and um, concepts and adjectives and people described what they want Sandy Spring Friends School to be. We're going to return to them when we can so that the conversation keeps going. An element of that, the first professional development that we did with faculty and with, with teaching faculty in all three divisions early December was about intervening in difficult moments. And a lot of what we talked about there was self-regulation, was self knowing where you are before you try to step in if students are saying things to each other that can be hurtful. If one student is eroding another student's sense of belonging verbally in, in, in the moment, how do you step in to interrupt that? And the self-regulation piece, again, touches on belonging. Because if, if an adult tries to step in in between students, but the adult is not number one, secure in their space on campus, securing themselves on campus, and then aware of what the language that they're hearing between students might do to their amygdala, then they're not going to be effective interveners. So that self-regulation, and that to me takes me to what we're still living through this pandemic, how we all have to be super aware of what the ongoing stresses of this does to us and also what it does to students. And so what I did sort of going to my teaching role at the very beginning of the year was I spent a day just checking in with students. How are you doing? I'm new. Some of you are new-ish. Some of you are in person for the first time on, on, this, on this campus. And so let's talk about how we're feeling during the pandemic. And, and I really think that that opened up some of those human connections between students and I, because I've had students since then share things with me. It, it feels good to be that person I was talking about earlier for some students, where I know that at least this kid has me to come and talk about the family member that passed, or this kid has me to come and say, virtual week just wasn't good for me. I didn't get the homework done, but I'm going to work on it to, to get it done. And that I can then, in responding to, I didn't get the homework done, be like, it's okay. How are you doing? Right? Seeking that human connection always. Now, my mind is going <laughs> a thousand different places because Rodney and Hayes, you both referenced something so important, which is the child-adult dynamic in this. It's, it's easy to, to lose sight of that when our kids are almost fully formed adults in the upper school, but these are all kids, right? And they are all looking to the adults in the space, whether or not they're aware of it, whether or not they would admit it, or, you know, even our three-year-olds, 
are, are certainly very vocal of what's going on over there, but they're all looking to us, right, to model what safety looks like. And they're very sensitive to when our adults are not feeling that. And I think that just speaks beautifully to the importance of this work on both the student and the faculty and staff end because it translates, it's all evident. And like you said, Rodney, our amygdalas are all connected. And so when someone's not feeling that, we see that readily and evidently. And he's thinking about that human connection. We've also started a faculty coaching model this year where you know we have peer coaching and peer mentoring. And then if, if someone wants to work through a specific issue or a little road bump they're having, I meet with them in, in a coaching capacity. And one of the first things I always ask is, okay, who are your people on campus? Do you have a go-to network that you feel comfortable speaking to? And very often that's one of the fundamental kind of um, absences that we're dealing with is that they haven't found that connectivity yet. And so we work on finding those relationships and expanding those and it makes a significant difference. And so it's often feel people just feeling disconnected, not necessarily they're having a, a big problem, but they just aren't feeling that connection in the moment. And that can make a world of difference. Mm. Y'all have named, but I want to just really highlight a lot of concrete things we're doing as a school through our professional development and both of your works that are enhancing people's sense of belonging and their ability to bring belonging. But just to highlight those resources for folks who are joining us on this podcast, what are some workshops, some topics, some people, some resources. Like I know we've partnered with Folio. We've had Dr. Blackwood Ellis. We've had Friends Council on Education. Give some concretes to both sides of that house, some concrete ways that schools can use professional development to increase a faculty member's sense of belonging and ways to use professional development to increase a student's sense of belonging through how you're teaching a faculty member to create that. I'd love to jump in because you mentioned Dr. Blackwood Ellis and she was on my mind um, because she came in to do COVID trauma response workshop with our lower school, middle school, and upper school faculty in different groups that allowed her A, to be really developmentally targeted in her approach, but she focused just as much on care and keeping of our faculty and emotionally regulating themselves like Hayes was talking about. She kind of split her time between here's what the kids need, here's what the adults in the space need. And she really engaged faculty and created a space of safety where they felt they could share. Like, I'm not getting X or Y or Z resource that I feel like I need to be able to meet my students where they are. And so that was really helpful in just uncovering some of the things people had been holding and you could feel a little bit of a collective exhale when they realized they would have that space. So one of the concrete things I would say to do is to hold space for the reality of the stresses that we're all bringing to this current moment and to acknowledge that Rodney, I think you've been exceptionally responsive in the provision of outside counseling resources and just people to talk to if you're feeling stressed because Hayes mentioned and, and named the pandemic effect is still very real. And so from a sense of threat and safety, we're all bringing an already elevated level just by the existence of this, this moment in time. Concretely, I think naming that and giving space and resources for dealing with your own human side of things is really important in keeping your faculty and staff engaged and feeling a sense of care and belonging. Mm-hmm. And so interesting that you're mentioning that because if we think of old school models of professional development, they were so not about that. Right, right. <laughs> right, right. And so even the nature of professional development has changed 
And that's why it's professional growth. Yes. That growth is a holistic growth. And that leads to the development. Rodney, you mentioned um, MBE earlier, Mind Brain Education. And I thought immediately of the great partnership that we have with the Center for Transformative Teaching and Learning and Glenn Whitman, um, Mm -hmm. who just blew my mind as a new employee here. I had not experienced that intentional an approach to the classroom approach and the element of of equity and justice work that sometimes gets left out is neurodiversity. You could have a cisgender, heterosexual, straight, white student who is dyslexic and their sense of belonging might be destroyed by their English classroom if the teacher does not know how to vary instruction, how to offer, how to offer different, differentiated instruction, how to approach a lesson in a way that helps the student, helps the student to develop confidence in their writing, in their reading, whatever subject it is, right? I'm focusing on, 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 on English because that's my world. A neurodiverse kid's sense of belonging can be, can be seriously eroded by their academic experience. CTTL, I'm thinking of AIMS, the, the, the Association of Independent Maryland Schools. They have some great workshops. I've heard of this group, uh, the Glasgow Group, I think. <laughs> Not that you plug in for our head of school, but pretty good organization out there called the Glasgow Group that combines all of what we're talking about, the mental health, the centering yourself, the self-regulation, and then like the serious academic principles and things that you can bring to the classroom. So those are just a couple of resources. And then speaking specifically to an area of belonging that is somewhat deeply personal to me, I am biracial, I have uh, Black American and German heritage. It's not a secret if you're in the independent school world that Black boys' sense of belonging is often the most at-risk sense of belonging on campus. And so the book, and the scholar's name is escaping me, you'll have to help me out, White Women Teaching Black Boys, phenomenal resource for how to Again, going back to what I said earlier, engage on that human level. How is your weekend? How's your, how's your family? Making the phone call home instead of just the email train. Because there have been, I have heard Black students, I've heard Black families say, you know, I feel like I only hear from the teacher when there's a problem. I feel like the teacher's trying to create a paper trail so that when it really gets, gets bad for my kid, they'll have receipts that human connection is, is, is spoken to in, in, in that book really, really well. Mm. And remembering that those things are part of cultural scripts. So even if they're not happening, we imagine we need to be prepared for them to happen. You know, you're getting into what we call his cognitive dissonance, which is that feeling of always having to scan for belonging versus cognitive reward, which is I start with the assumption that I belong and you'll have to prove to me that I don't. Those are very different brains that operating, absolutely. Definitely. And I have to throw in one more resource that is incredibly valuable at this intersectionality of MBE and OIEJB work. Culturally Responsive Teaching in the Brain, Zaretta Hammond is an incredible resource. And it speaks so beautifully to the importance of belonging and learning and that neurobiological response. And it's a constant reference with about a thousand folded pages on my desk. It's it's a wonderful reference. Mm -hmm. So I'll I'll add one. So we round out our our trio (laughs) in the the books to put put this together. And it's an old school one. I would throw out Matthew Lieberman's Social. And it has a, a subtle but really clear way of connecting the brain 
with just the idea of the importance of the social environment and learning as a social cognition first more than anything else. And that's why the sense of belonging is really important. He says in there at, at one point, people will remember more information when they coded onto the people and the places and the feelings in which they learned that information. And if you match that with some of our educational theorists, I wanna say, it wasn't, I didn't wanna say it was Mead who said that when you remember something you've learned, you also remember the feeling you had when you learned it and who taught it to you. And so the importance of teachers having good relationships with students because everything you teach them comes with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it comes with them when they remember what they've been taught um, is really an important, an important sense of this. I wanna add, we talked about the intersection of PD and belonging, professional development and belonging. I want to add a third street. Maybe it's a multiple intersection because we know, and maybe this is like the intersection is leading you towards this highway for us, which would be Quakerism. Mm. And Courtney, you're a long-term veteran of Sandy Spring Friends School. Hayes, you are new with us, but veteran to Quaker schools haven't come out, come to us out of Sidwell. And so just wondering, as we steep ourselves in the Quaker context of this, how does belonging and Quakerism and professional development all play in the same sandbox? And maybe Quakerism is the sand in that case. Hayes, you touched on this earlier, and it, it was one of those come back to this moments for me. The Quaker concept of continuing revelation speaks to me most loudly here because that is growth mindset. That is understanding that none of us are finished products and that nothing is done. And so we are constantly and continually asking ourselves questions, digging deeper. And this doesn't just go for our experiential learning, right? This is internally, and this is with everything we do as educators, looking for that growth edge and being willing to be wrong and embracing that and using that as a point of a springboard to something new, as opposed to kind of a reflection of failure. It's, it's not, it's all growth and it all feeds this process. And, and Hayes, when you mentioned that earlier, it just stuck with me as one of the most important elements to take from Quakerism into this intersectionality. To build on that and to go back again to self-regulation, when you have an opportunity twice a week to sit in silence in meeting for worship and gather yourself and reflect on yourself and just quiet the day. And I, 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 I tried, I don't always succeed, but I try to remember to begin and end each class with a moment of silence so that for students, it's that moment where, okay, I've just absorbed all this information. Let me sit for a little bit in silence before I go to my next class. Because there's, going back again to the neurodiversity, education and research, that shifting gears from class to class can be really tough for some students. And so if you get the time to be reflective, if you get the time to sit in silence, I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've finished at 8.55 one morning and class didn't end until nine. I said, okay, well, we're just going to sit in some silence for a little while and be reflective. So that's, that, that along with continuing revelation, I think are, are, are really particularly important elements of Quakerism that help, that can be helpful to our sense of belonging and our ability to show up to help students feel like they belong. Mm -hmm. And what y'all just described, this is where my mind fired off, was the connection between Quaker practice and really the arc of great education, which professional development is really adult education and then student education. And I think, I, 
I'm hearing Russia's voice in my head too of like, it's like the cadence, it's like the cadence, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't realize until this moment that the cadence actually is a marriage of Quaker values, principles, processes, and educational practice because it's the engagement, reflection, action, and then you loop back, right? Engagement, reflection, action. So <laughs> that's best practices in MBE too, right? Like it's really, it's all the things because the way that you space and process and then apply and reapply knowledge to solidify it all follows that same kind of rhythm and heartbeat that you're talking about. That's right. That's right. So we may call it in Quakerism, you know, by different things, right? Reflection may be continuing revelation for us perhaps, right? With that moment of silence that you take or continuing revelation could lead you to a different action. So mm -hmm. just thinking about how those conversations have married each other in some really interesting and foundational ways for us as we lead in a specifically Quaker way. And, and I think too, to add to that, the cadences seem to me to speak to simplicity in this way. Decoding an assignment can be, can be really difficult for some students. And so when you break it down into, we're doing this first, we're learning first, and then we're applying, and then we are reflecting and maybe learning some more, and now we are assessing, that helps students to decode the learning process, to understand how it happens. And maybe even they can then figure out which of these is the hardest for me. Maybe it takes me a really long time to read, but boy, am I good at reflecting on that reading in class as, as we have a conversation about it. And, and so that they can, once they understand the way that they learn, and maybe that's in conjunction with one of our learning specialists, then they know where to apply particular energies along the process of learning. And I also want to say something else about what you were saying earlier, Rodney, about remembering something because of the way that it was delivered to you. High school, school is a gym for the brain, right? This was a brilliant metaphor that, that a colleague of mine, Chris Thompson from GDS, who now is at a school out in California, I think, the idea is math works a certain muscle set. English works a certain muscle set. Science Whereas another muscle set, you work all those different muscles, and you're probably not necessarily retaining some of the facts that you learn that you learn along the way. But your brain is using brain cells that in adolescence start to get pruned. So the more you can use these different parts of your brain, the more brain power you keep. And so when you understand that, and then you apply that idea to that to that process of the cadences then you're really kind of decoding learning. And, and you're also, you also have an answer for your seventh grader who says, when am I going to use the algebra? I, speaking from a little bit, little bit of personal experience. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's you're just working out your brain. They're just working out your brain. I love that we're kind of connecting the neurobiological and, and this intersectionality. I was reading recently, and I, I hate to bring this lens in, but why don't students or why don't kids like school? I think it's Daniel Willingham and it had this really interesting opening point the brain is looking to do as little work as possible to retain this information and so knowledge that is sticky is knowledge that is connected to a known factor right and and that speaks to what you were saying Rodney too the relationships are part of that learning so if I know that I already have a great bond with my teacher 
what they say sticks because my brain doesn't have to work as hard. It's already got this kind of paradigm for what this teacher means to them. And it, it becomes a lot more meaningful. And so it's kind of incredible to me in this moment, how all of these things are tied <laughs> together. <laughs> and I feel like I'm kind of living this realization on screen, but it's, it's incredibly important to tie that back into the relationship building. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll, I'll, you had me tie it one more loop over here, which is when you said the brain wants to do as little work as possible. That's the cognitive foundation of implicit bias, stereotyping and assumption that can create that can create a lack of belonging in other folks. And yeah. so when Hayes says gymnastics for the brain, it's like you have to have your brain willing to work to create yeah. belonging. That's why we call it, do we not? It's called the work, right? The work, right? <laughs> <laughs> and oh, and you know, I wrote something down earlier because this this kind of occurred to me, and and I want to bring this to to teachers the next time we do some PD. When you think about the world outside of a school, and you think about our public lives versus our private lives, and you think about the opportunity to get to know people on a human level, it's a lot harder for me to walk into CVS and strike up a conversation with somebody in the candy aisle and get to know someone and learn something about them and then see them again at some point, right? So maybe we have a nice conversation and then never see that person again. Think about what an opportunity we have in schools where we get to come here every day with the same set of people and we get to learn different people. I've learned the names of, I don't know how many kids since I've been here. And I love the fact that I can now say hi to them in the hallway because I remember feeling good when a teacher said hi to me by name in the hallway. I remember standing with a group of, of four friends and the assistant principal walked by and he said hi to the five or six of us by name. And one of my friends named that when he went on into the office said, well, it's really nice how he said hi to each of us, to each of us individually. So I'll say, if I see a student I teach and they're walking next to, next to somebody I don't, I'll say, hi, Jay, hi, student I don't know yet. Inviting them to introduce themselves. And we get to do that at schools all the time. And it's so much harder to, to do that out in the world. So let's take advantage of that. Let's get to know as many of the, of the young people who, who are here, because they are why we are here in the first place. We are here for students. Schools operate for mm -hmm. students. And so let's leverage this opportunity to get to know as many of them as, as, as we can, because if we do that in genuine and human ways, then they will feel like they belong and they will soar. That feels like a, just an exclamation point <laughs> to, to move us to wrap up this really, I, I don't even know if I have a word to describe this conversation that, <laughs> that we've had this morning, this professional development that yes. we've had this morning. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about and Hayes brought me to it with this belonging piece and what you were just saying about you want to know people's names, people want to be known. Belonging also feels like a sense of home that I'm at. And I know here at our school, we, and we often don't call it a school, it's, we normally talk about it as the place and a place of belonging. And belonging is one of our words that we have really institutionalized through the mm -hmm. office of institutional equity, justice, and belonging. 
And we say we want our students to feel as if this is their home. In fact, we don't even say feel as if. We want this to be our students' homes. Those are different things. And I, I will say just because we're on a podcast so folks won't be able to see this is I have been fascinated by just our three Zoom squares in the context of this <laughs> conversation about belonging because as I'm looking and we've been to each other's houses, each other's homes outside of school, right? Except I don't think Hayes has invited us over yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but for the most part, we've been in each other's home spaces. And as I look at the squares, I'm like, okay, sitting behind Hayes is a picture of the artist who will forever be known as Prince. And I know that's like Hayes's person. That's that's his belonging. I'm looking at Courtney's in this like ultra mod stylish chair <laughs> with the chic art in the back. And I'm like, yeah, that's like her home. <laughs> Even as she lives in this historic Quaker home, right? There's a modern chic to her classic elegance. That's Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> and then I look at my own square and I've got Harriet Tubman behind me, right? Yes. And we know one of the things that drew me to our school is that we are on the site of the Underground Railroad. Mm -hmm. And so even in our own squares, we created our sense of belonging so that we could do our jobs of having everybody else feel that. They can even start in the physical space. Thank you, friends. We may need to close this one with a moment of silent reflection. Absolutely. This was great. Thank you so much, Rodney. Thank you, Courtney. Having paused to reflect on all that we created and took in, I'll say I'm thankful for many reasons to have you in my life and the lives of our students, faculty, administrators, parents, our whole community. Thank you for what you do to create a sense of belonging because it is an active creation that has to be recreated every single day. And y'all know that and y'all work for that and I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Rodney. Thank you. Thank you, Courtney. Take care, friends. Have a great day, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the New Stories Podcast. 